When I was a kid, I wanted to be a WNBA player, professional basketball player, and now I'm a sports writer. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. My guest today is Mirren Fader. Mirren is a staff writer for The Ringer, and she previously wrote for Bleacher Report from 2017 to 2020. She was named a top women in media in the up-and-comer category in 2019, and her work has been featured in the Best American Sports Writing series. Fader has profiled some of the NBA's biggest stars, but she focuses more on the person rather than the player. Her approach is that she writes about people who happen to play sports, telling the backstories that shape some of our most complex, most dominant heroes. Through her career, she's gone from covering local four-year-old little leaguers in Southern California to becoming the New York Times best-selling author of her new book, Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Mirren. Oh, thank you for having me. So good to be here. Thank you. I'm honored. And I got to say, this book, it, it reached the highest echelon for me in the sense that I was enjoying it every waking moment of the day. I like when I wasn't at my desk, I was reading it and I loved it so much that I bought the audio book so that literally even if I was just like making lunch or something and couldn't like flip open the book, I could consume it. So literally every waking moment of the day, as soon as I got my hands on it, I was consuming it to the point where I was like, okay, your book is coming out August 10th. We're recording this on the 26th. I was like, okay, two weeks will be enough time. And I flew, I, I finished it well before then. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh my God. That means a lot. Yeah. This, this really hit the mark for me. It was really resonant. And I think two ways this really stood out for me, this book was quantity of interviews and quality. So for people who don't know, you did 221 interviews for this book, <laughs> which is yes. a huge feat. <laughs> and I mean, when you have that much information, how do you organize it so that you can tell a story? Because I imagine after a certain point, that alone becomes very challenging. It was so challenging. I've never worked with that much information. You know, I'm a long form writer. Normally my stories are like 4,000 words. This is 120,000 words. And so, you know, every story I normally interview like 15 to 30 people, again, 221. So I was just so overwhelmed and I started to separate the interviews by time period. So I had a binder for like childhood interviews. And then, you know, when he gets to the NBA, 2013 to 14. And I think the biggest thing also though, was like, combing through the interviews and trying to figure out like what are the most compelling anecdotes through each of them and another way i organized them was having an anecdote book and you know so after an interview that i did i would just write down the most exciting gem that i got from that interview because when you're working on something for like a year there's no immediate gratification so the joy has to be in like wow i you know i just spent two hours with this one person i got this one story and then write it in your book so you know it kind of helped me organize everything too. And you have this great information, you have these great anecdotes. And I think, especially with someone like Giannis, who grew up the way he did, him and his family aren't necessarily prone to trusting people easily. But in this essay that you that you wrote and narrated exclusively for the audiobook, you describe this moment with Giannis's mother when you met her at the Bucks practice facility, 
where initially you started pretty far away from her in the room and then you felt like you reached a tipping point when she leaned in to offer you an Altoid and and you had kind of breached her trust. You had kind of uh, gained her trust rather. So how do you think you were able to you know achieve that with people who that doesn't come naturally for them? Yeah, it's I think it's just asking questions that aren't necessarily about the sport. You yeah. know, I'm a sports writer, but I'm really not, but I am. Yeah. You know what I mean by that? Like I so I think when you're asking questions of them like what kind of person was Giannis? You know, what kind of friend was Giannis? What's his personality like? I think they get a sense that you care about learning about who he is, not just in terms of like famous basketball player and all his accomplishments, but like on a genuine personal basis and I think that Journalism is this weird thing where you're trying to gain intimacy with somebody right off the bat. And in no other situation in life does that ever happen, right? Like it takes a really long time to get to know someone and learn their deepest, darkest traumas and secrets. But for this, it's it's a sped up process. And so I, I think just, you know, maybe asking questions about that. You know, Veronica, Giannis' mom, she she didn't want to talk about basketball. She was like, you know, Giannis is a really kind person. He's there for his brothers. I love the way that he takes care. So it's like, sometimes I even forget to ask about basketball, you know, (laughs) it sounds absurd. (laughs) And when you're when you're meeting with people for this book, are you doing as much research on these people as you possibly can before you speak with them? Or do you I've heard of some writers who purposely like won't go all out because that's overwhelming for them. What's been your process? It's been both for me. So for the childhood section, because this is new territory, like you can't Google Giannis's childhood friends. Like it just doesn't exist. So I wasn't able to do any preparation for that. Honestly, it was like, it was like this exciting blank space and then trying to figure out what was there. But for people in Milwaukee, you know, and in the NBA later, I do try to Google everything and read everything. You know, sometimes like, uh, as you mentioned, like some people don't do that because they don't want to get other voices in their head. For me, I think that it's such a competitive landscape in media that you have to know what everyone else has done to try to figure out how you can do it differently. Like you're essentially trying to offer something that people don't know. So I have to get a sense of what these people have been asked before so I can try to ask something different. And you just alluded to you, for example, with Giannis's childhood friends, that's something that we didn't know before this book. How much of the roadmap for this book had you kind of planned out at the start, like when you had your proposal and how much really unfolded throughout the journey? Because I like I remember anybody who's do- who does nonfiction, there's like all these cool twists and turns that pop up in exciting <laughs> ways. I just think back to when I was in college, I remember I had to do a seven minute documentary and I was like, OK, that's easy. I know exactly what we're going to do at seven minutes. Not a big deal. But even within a seven minute documentary, I was blown away by the different directions I found myself going in. So I can only imagine for a hundred twenty thousand word book, you know, you probably had some tent poles you were looking to hit. But what was the balance of things that were planned and revelations that came up? I would say so many more revelations than planned. You know, I the book proposal is essentially like a sales job. It's like, I'm going to do this and then it's going to be this and I'm amazing and blah, blah, blah. And it's all just like fake, you know, like it's it's just who knows where the story is going to take you. That's why I love journalism. You never know where it'll go. Right. But the proposal is like you trying to convince the publisher, oh, I know where it will go, blah, 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 blah. You know, I knew, of course, you know, Ian is growing up as a person of color in Greece, he's going to go through some racism, but that was not out there yet. So I had no idea that that was going to be a through line for 
really the entire book, you know, and return to it later. There were so many revelations about that. There were so many revelations about being undocumented and what it was like for his family, you know, not getting papers. And I think because Giannis's story is so inspirational, there's an element of romanticizing it and you know, mythologizing it, if that's a word, I don't know if that's a word, my brain is broken, Um, that I think there's a tendency to gloss over these really sharper, harder parts. And so to me, there were so many revelations just in terms of like, okay, the the story beneath the glossy story that Mm. we don't know about. Yeah, that makes sense. So as you're getting all these cool anecdotes coming your way, if we were shadowing you during this year of writing the book, what would we see? Because I know, I know you're traditionally a coffee shop writer from podcasts yes. I listen to, and we're both in LA. So I'm actually curious what what coffee shops are your vibe. But yes. but I know during the pandemic that wasn't always an option. So how did you like? If we were following you around for this past year, what would we have seen besides, I imagine, a bunch of WhatsApp calls? <laughs> WhatsApp calls. You'd see a bunch of stress. It's just me in my apartment. You know, like the highlight was like going to Trader Joe's <laughs> and figuring out what to make, you know, first of all, you got to get on Bixby. It's a local uh, coffee subscription service um, in LA. Love them. That got me through the Peruvian line. Um, Amazing. So because I couldn't go to the coffee shop, I had to get a subscription and get a coffee maker and all that. It was just waking. I was working all hours of the day. I, I mean, because of the time difference, like I would wake up at five and start interviewing people at like six and then go six, seven, eight, and then transcribe. And then think. And also I have my day job, my normal job right. is you know, at the ringer and um, well at the time Bleacher Report, but it morphed into the ringer and just calling a million people. I've never reported so much in my life. Like I've never picked up the phone and called that many people in a time span. And, and then I think because COVID just like erased the boundaries, like after dinner, instead of going to the gym, like I normally would, I was working, I was calling people, I, you know, people in Greece were just waking up. And so they would answer my DMs at midnight yeah. LA time, you know? So, right. And also this was a unique experience for me because normally I report the whole thing and then I write the thing, mm. but my publisher had me on a 20,000 a word a month deadline. So I had to like write and report as I go, yeah. which is like, it's so hard to know how to write something when you don't know all the material that you have. So that was just a huge challenge. Did that mean that you filled in, you went back to certain chapters and filled things in as you got relevant stories? That that does sound very different from what I've heard. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. So like Raman Rana, one of Giannis's best childhood friends, I did not get him until very late in the game. So I got him probably like a month before deadline, but the chapter on childhood was obviously due like six months prior. And so I completely revamped that, you know, chapter and just, oh my God, I got this critical interview late in the game and I got to redo it. So on the one hand, I tried to just not be hard on myself, which is really hard because I'm really hard on myself and just say like, okay, this is my attempt at 20,000 words, but it's going to change. You know, writing is a fluid thing. It changes all the time. There's no one way to do it. You could rewrite a chapter 10 different ways. You know, it's not one of them's not right or wrong. It's just different. And so, yeah, it was like constantly changing. And when I turned in the book, March 1st, 2021, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm like not going to leave my bed for like two days. <laughs> oh my goodness. There, there are already so many puzzle pieces to manage with a book. And then with this rolling deadline, I can only imagine how you tried to 
piece things in your head. I mean, did you feel like there were every points where you got stuck or like struggled to like, what would you do when you were kind of confused? Like, how would you straighten yourself out? Would you just go for a walk? Did you like put up note cards? What worked for you in that sense? Yeah, it happened a lot because I didn't know how the book would end because at the time I didn't know if Giannis was going to stay or leave Milwaukee. So there was like this giant hole at the end of the book. And I was like, I'm not sure how we're going to solve that. And um, just throughout the thing, you know, writing is failure. And I would just write and be like, this sucks so much. I don't know what I'm doing. It's my first book. You know, I would definitely go on very long COVID walks, like, like five mile walks. Uh, and just, I became an audiobook person. I, I uh, got a library card at the, the LA library and they have a really cool app and you can like borrow audiobooks. And so I would just walk and like listen to audiobooks. And I love to cook and bake. And actually, baking was a total refuge for me because. Like when something wasn't working on the page, it's a, it's a mental thing, Mm -hmm. right? Your brain is clogged with like, not just words and and ideas, but just like emotions of being disappointed in yourself. And so baking, you're working with your hands, like you're getting out of your thinking Mm -hmm. brain and you're getting into, you're, you're, you're essentially playing, like you're playing with dough, like you're, the, the flour is everywhere, you know? And so that would be just perfect for me because I could stop being so into my mess and just get out. Right. And, and so that's what I did. That's how I feel about tennis. Whenever, oh. whenever I'm, I'm like, my mind is just, there's a million things going on. I, I go, I try to find a, a friend to play tennis with and like, I have nothing else I can do, but stop this ball from hitting me. Like that is the only <laughs> thing I can do. Um, I can't focus. I can't focus on a deadline I have at work. Right. (laughs) So, so even if, even if I have a million, million things going on, I found sometimes that that one or two hours, you know, for you, it's baking for me, I found tennis helpful that one or two hours when you literally like have to put a hundred percent focus into what's in front of you, or you might burn your hand or you might get hit with a ball. (laughs) Like those things. Oh man. And I mean, I think, I think, you know, one of the other beautiful things about this book is you narrate the audio book so beautifully. Oh, thank and, you. And it was up there with some of the finest narrators I've I've listened to in audiobooks. Did did that what? come did that come a bit from listening to audiobooks as a meditative practice or like how did you how did you get good at that? Cuz like as far as I know, your big podcast drive has happened since your book, right? Like I'm sure you've been on podcasts before, but the skill of narrating an audiobook is different than the skill of writing long form or writing a book. Well, thank you for saying that because I was like so insecure about this audiobook situation because you're right. Like I'm not a podcaster. I go on other people's pods, but I consider it to be something that I just, it's part of my job, but I don't know how to do it necessarily. And they originally, I was like, when they said like, what do you want to do for the audiobook? Like, I was like, oh, just find somebody, you know, I didn't even consider myself. <laughs> and they were like, okay, um, we're looking for a Greek person who is interested, you know, to find this was like a unicorn. It yeah. was like, you don't want somebody that feels cold and detached, who is not a Greek American, yeah. you know, it was really, we also wanted to find somebody that knew sports so they could, you know, tap into that. And they were just like, you know what, we can't find anyone. And you know, we've listened to you on podcasts. We think you should try. And I was like, 
are you sure? You know, like I was thinking like, no, I'm so bad at this. And then, you know, my number one rule as of late, as of the past couple of years has been like, if it scares you, you should do it. And so I said yes, because I was really scared. And so I was like, maybe I should just get out of my comfort zone. And I I spent hours, like literally hours recording this, you know, it it clocked in at 12 hours, but we must've done like nine days straight of recording to the point where it literally burned out my voice. Like I, my throat was like in pain and I had to work with a Greek speech coach. So the fact that you think it was well done, just like really makes me so happy. So thank you. Yeah. I I, I forgot to even mention you rap in this book. You speak Greek. (laughs) I mean, this isn't, so not only do you narrate the, the prose very well, but you also had to figure out some tricky pronunciations and rhythms and you got that. Did you have any did you have any rituals you did on recording day? I've I've had I've actually spoken to an audiobook narrator and that was one of the coolest things just like hearing about what she did on the day of a recording. I drank so much tea. I really just was like don't talk, do not talk, don't <laughs> talk to anyone, don't do. I'm a big like audio memo, memo person instead of texting and I was like, do not talk to anyone and um you know I I really I think it was more mental. I think it's hard with all the Greek names, like the Golden Dawn leader, Nicholas Michalaliak. I I got that wrong like a hundred times. <laughs> and it's it, it was more just like telling myself, it's okay that you're not good at this. It's okay yeah. that you're going to mess up. Just don't get mad at yourself. And it's also, you're in a fancy studio. The people there are watching you. You feel embarrassed that you're messing up or you have to rap and you're just like, God, I'm just oh, cringe. And it's also acting. You have to act like it's not just like reading a nonfiction book, like a treatise. It's like, you know, when there's an emotional scene and Giannis and Ross Geiger are in the apartment and Giannis like, will you stay the night? You know, you have to like be theatrical without being cringy. And so I would just prepare by just saying like, okay, look, you're not perfect. Try your best. You got this. And yeah, that's what I did. (laughs) I I don't know if I'm biased having listened to the audio book, but do you think your writing sounds fairly similar to how you speak or, or you think your writing style is actually very distinct from just like talking to you like this? It's interesting that you say that because one of the things I do for my writing is I read it out loud to to hear how it sounds because a lot of the people that I was inspired by writing have very like auditory qualities and like kind of like a cadence to the way that they write like Toni Morrison and one word choppy sentences like there is rhythm in it and I think I try to write like that and so when I read it out loud like it made sense to me like it is meant to be read out loud yeah in a weird way because there there are short choppy sentences there are like wordplay and rhyme and whatever um but it was just weird like how do i want to say this it was weird having other people hear it you know? <laughs> yeah right right i just do that for me like yeah. to see like it does the story lag on is it boring you can tell if your your long form story is boring if you're reading it out loud and there's a lag and you find yourself disinterested reading out loud is a way to figure that out sometimes you can't tell if you don't read it out loud but it was like weird that i wasn't weird it was just new people are like can i buy your audiobook you know as i said i listen to audiobooks but i never thought like that people would want to listen to it, right. you know? So it was like very like nerve wracking. Like, what are they going to think? What is it? What is it? Did I do a good job? You know, it's yeah. just like totally new for me. 
for me. So I, well, I don't know Greek, so I, I just assume you got it right. Um, <laughs> I hope I got it right. I, I hope you did, but it's funny because I know I know Jeff Perlman is a close friend of yours, and I listened to Three Ring Circus as, oh, through the audiobook. And there were some tricky names like Peja Stojakovic, who I think the narrator yes. pronounced in a different way. And for I was so snarky. I was like, come on, man. Like he's, a... <laughs> but I, of course, like if you don't follow the NBA day in and day out, yeah. you're going to pronounce it Stojakovic, you know, however you want. Like I forgot how he pronounced it, but I just remember giggling. <laughs> I remember giggling and being like, and then taking a step back. Fear. Yeah. That was my fear. My fear was that somebody would would tweet the part of the rap or or like this total butchering of this like Greek, you know, the one that just kept giving me trouble all the time was was Ioannidis. You know, it's like in, in my head it's Ioan Ioannidis, not yeah. these. And I just <laughs> kept like doing it like a hundred times. And it, yeah. So I mean. I guess the last thing before we get to rapid fire, how do you think NBA history is different if Giannis had gone to Atlanta? Oh, my God. Look, I really think he would have been successful no matter what. Yeah. Right. No matter where he went, no matter who coached him. And there was on that team, there was a lot of like, like, I think Al Horford was on that team. Yeah. Kyle Korver at the time, maybe if I'm right. Um and I think those would have been good veterans for him. I think what allowed him to succeed that first year in Milwaukee was he had like really good veterans. Yeah. And I think, I think you would have had a similar dynamic in Atlanta, but Oh my God, our Hawks fans triggered by this book. Like <laughs> somebody was like, you should have a trigger warning at the top, you know, and all this stuff. And um, anyways, so uh, I think he would still be great, but I also like Atlanta is a different city than Milwaukee. Right. I don't know how he would, found being in that type of environment which yeah. is not necessarily like Miami or LA or New York but of course it's you know it there is an element of just like cosmopolitan yeah. metropolitan so I, I don't know but I really I mean it I think he would have been successful no matter what yeah but if the team would have stashed him in then the d-league or put him back overseas like who knows what would have happened you know yeah. that's why it's an improbable rise an improbable ride <laughs> amazing well on that, I'm up with that. <laughs> <laughs> on that happy note we'll wind down with a few little rapid fire questions firstly okay if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one skill or ability what would it be i'd be a better runner my knees are broken <laughs> from basketball <laughs> fair, fair where's a place you haven't been to yet that you hope to visit spain there we go and we have a playlist where we add a song recommendation from each of our guests of a song they're jamming to or they love to jam to their go-to. Do you have a song you could throw in into our HDYD Jams playlist? I need this playlist. Send it to me after <laughs> the pod. Um, I start every writing session with D'Angelo, send it on. Whoa. I don't know. The, the intro, it, I'm just like, I'm ready to write. Wow. So you can, it's like a Pavlovian thing for you. Oh, Yeah immediate <laughs> so if you hear it out at like a club or a bar you're just going to be like all right let me let me where's the words, where's the words? exactly <laughs> so you can you can write to songs with lyrics i know some writers struggle with that oh 100 yeah. i've written everything to d'angelo's voodoo and um at like literally everything like every year on spotify it's funny they're like you have listened to a lot of d'angelo i'm like yeah well i'm a writer and this is what happens yeah i don't know i'm not just i like it that's awesome 
I really like it. I I, I think I can only do instrumental unless I know like unless I know the song so well that it's basically instrumental in my head because the words have just like me like melded with the beat. Um, but if I don't know the lyrics well enough, I'm like thinking about the lyrics and I can't I can't work uh. at the same time. Oh, that fascinates me, like the way creativity works and like how some people can do certain things. And, you know, we're all superstitious and yeah. nerdy. <laughs> I, used to, I used to listen to Odessa and then that I realized was too intense. So then I've recently switched to classical music. So that's the phase I'm on now between Beethoven okay. and Mozart. I just go back and forth between those two. <laughs> okay, I like it. It's different than D'Angelo, but it works for me. A little different, <laughs> slightly different. Yeah. And lastly, where can people keep up with your work? Check out the book, plug all the things there are to plug. Okay. Well, I'm on Twitter, Mirin Fader, M-I-R-I-N-F-A-D-E-R. -E That's always the struggle. People are like, I don't know how to say or type your name. And my website is also mirinfader.com where I have all my features. You can buy the book anywhere. Um, if you're in LA like us, um, love for you to support some indie. Skylight, Chevaliers, Romans, those are my fave spots. And we have signed copies at all of those. And Amazon is restocking right now. So if you buy it now, it'll say there's a crazy delay. It's not true. Fake news. Um, Bookshop.org and audiobooks, like you said, Libro.fm supports independence. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And if you're curious about the podcast, you can check us out on Instagram at HDYDpod. Mirren, thank you so much. I was so amped for this. It was so cool to hear about your process. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope you found value in today's conversation. If you still haven't left your review for How Do You Do Podcast, I'm going to walk you through the process right now, and it only takes 10 seconds. First, look at your phone screen and click where it says, How Do You Do Podcast, which is in purple. And if you're not seeing this, then you're probably listening to this on a different app. So I want you to click on where it says, Listen on Apple Podcasts, and then you'll see the purple link. Click that. Then you'll just scroll past all the previous episodes to where it says ratings and reviews and all you need to do is tap the star on the far right and you've left a five-star rating. I thank you in advance for taking the 10 seconds to do that and I really truly appreciate you listening to this episode. Thanks for sharing it with your friends and followers and I'll see you back here next week.